Wow, thank you, Tim and Elisa and Eric. Uh, love worshiping. I get to be here. Let's remember that in this time, as we're, we're using video, but we're using these times to connect together. And so I pray for you guys. Uh, I want you to know this, that when you're listening to this tape, that the Holy Spirit is, is being poured out in your home or your apartment building, wherever you live. Uh, this is a time to still connect. It's a little bit different, but it is a connection time. So thank you for the time of worship and welcome to all of you for joining us on Resurrection Sunday. He is risen. No one said he is risen indeed. Try that again. He is risen. He is risen indeed. There are a few people here, so all right. Yeah, so because Jesus is truly human, he could die to pay the price for our sins because he's truly God. The Father raised him from the dead. And so again, as we said last week, Jesus is the watershed person in history. How then do people respond to Jesus? Well, Matthew gives us several responses to Jesus and his resurrection in Matthew 28. I'll just read a couple verses here. Matthew 28, 8 and 9 to give you a flavor for the first reaction. Some women who went and they saw the tomb. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. And they ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshiped him. That's a great response. Let's pray. Lord, as we're here today before you, most of all, we're asking, replicate that sense of joy at your resurrection. Move in our hearts. Help us to grasp what really happened 2,000 years ago. Pour out grace and peace and faith in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, everyone responds to the message of the resurrection, Jesus risen from the dead. But what are some of these responses to the resurrected Jesus? So several responses to the resurrected Jesus. The first response, as we saw, is joyful worship. And so uh, we could read a few more verses. Verse 1 says, After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he is risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him now, I've told you. And then they run off, as we said, and as we read, and they see the resurrected Christ and they're filled with joy and worship him. And so it's interesting. There's a violent earthquake and the glowing angel scaring the guards, understandably. And then notice that the angel gives them time and some evidence. He says, go ahead, look, see where he was laid? And, and then he gives them time to kind of absorb this amazing, staggering truth that he has risen. They're to tell the rest and go and spread the news. Now, this is interesting, and this is what we call uh, evidence for authenticity or criterion for authenticity. In Jewish law, a woman could not even testify 
to whether something was true or false. They, they had a very low status, unfortunately. But this tells us that if Matthew were to make up a story about resurrection, he would not have women bringing the story. They weren't regarded as reliable. Uh, they are afraid, as we saw in verse 8. This is new ground, resurrection. Jesus appears. They bow and worship. And again, verse 10, he says, don't be afraid. Uh, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Very simple. But I want us to see this. With the beauty of simple faith, the women believe their experience and joyfully worship. And so we don't want to put down that simple response in faith. There's doubters, there's skeptics, there's, the, there's people that need more evidence, and uh, I'm kind of one of those thinking kinds of people. But there are those that simply hear the message. They, they're confronted with the reality of Christ. They believe and they receive joy. And that's the first powerful response to resurrection. For those with that faith, this is the greatest response. Trust in Christ and worship. Believe and enter joy. So the first response to the resurrected Jesus is joyful worship. But there is another response to the resurrected Christ, more sober one. The second response to the resurrected Christ is distraction. We'll look at that in verse 11. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you ought to say this. His disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If the report gets to the governor, we'll satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. What an interesting, sad story. They're hostile to Jesus, and they will do anything to distract from Jesus. Notice they don't really even try to address the question of what really happened. They're not interested in that. They just know this story can't be spread. And so Matthew tells us this story is still spreading even when he wrote his gospel. The issue, deception is going on, of course. But the issue is not so much deception as distraction. Certainly, there are still people today that will say deceptive things about Jesus. But our biggest issue is distraction. The great characteristic of the modern age is distraction. Think about this. We know we're mortal. I'm not going to live forever. And really, we know I can't solve the problem of my mortality apart from God. So do we carefully seek God and think about it? What, what should I know? No, think about even Even people that would name the name of Christ, Think of how much time we spend in distraction, in frivolity, not even thinking of the darker sins, but just frittering our lives away. Endlessly distract, entertain, and ignore. Anything 
but face our mortality. I used to think this was a characteristic of modern America, but then I go back and I see even in the Gospels, like the Jewish leaders in Jesus' day, there is just a pressure to ignore what really happened with Jesus. For all our modern power, we can delay death sometimes, but we can't prevent it. So why not face the one solution to the sickness in our soul? But we fritter away in lust or regret or sin or just idling away our lives. I have a quote for you from the physicist Blaise Pascal, who was also a believer. He said, being unable to cure death or wretchedness and ignorance, yet disliking the medicine of Christ, men have decided in order to be happy not to think about such things. That is why men are so fond of hustle and business. That's from the 1600s. It sounds like yesterday. (laughs) But we have... COVID-19, and it's a difficult thing, and we'll pray about it later, but there's a gift in this time of COVID-19. Would you take time in your shelter at home in these next days and weeks, and would you face the unrest and the disquiet in your soul? Stop running. Surrender to Christ's medicine. Let me read a verse from 1 Peter about Jesus. It says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. So think about that. Three things. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. They mean the cross. So if you have the weight of guilt of sin, release it today. Say, Father, forgive me. And then he says, he did that, that we might die to sins. In other words, not that you're going to suddenly be perfect, but would you surrender your life And say, Lord, live through me so I can die to the destructive things. And then he says those beautiful words, by his wounds we are healed. And so when we come to Christ for forgiveness and then freedom from sin, he heals our souls. Now, if you've never done this, I urge you to ask the Lord to change your life. But some of you that are Christians, you're thinking, oh, he's talking about the people that don't yet know Christ. No, I mean you too. Sin in your soul. Maybe you've not been spending this extra time very well. And there's things you shouldn't have done. Get forgiven. Surrender. Say, Lord, live through me and receive healing of soul. By his stripes, we're healed. I think we're physically healed by those stripes too. And he can heal disease. But man, he can heal the disease of your soul the, the, the unquiet, the, the unrest, the, the just the, oh, what's wrong with me? And, and we're just running, 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 running. And then finally, God taps you on the shoulder and you stop. You think, oh, what's he going to say to me? And he just says, I love you. <laughs> I have my peace and my grace. And we run for no reason. So I urge you, just receive. Receive the grace of God this morning.
this evening. So a second response to Christ is distraction. Don't let that be your distraction. Final response to the resurrected Christ is mission. There is a word here for disciples. Let me read them. Verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, you go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And so verse 17, they also worship like the women do. Some doubt. It's worth noting here that Luke deals extensively with doubt in his narrative, and it's something that he shows us Jesus took a lot of time with. We're not going to this morning, but let me say this, that if you really do wrestle with doubts and your, your mind is filled with questions, email us, email me. We will help you think through those doubts intellectually and feel your way through them on a heart level. Uh, but then in verse 18, notice, we often read the Great Commission, but Je verse 18, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Me. Now, this is not the first time he said this in the Gospels, right? Every time he sends out the 12, he says, all right, I'm going to give you authority over uh, demons and sickness, and you're going to go preach my message, right? So he's just saying the same thing here. Believer, the ministry that you have is done in the authority of Jesus. Don't be afraid to pray for people. Don't be afraid to, to deal with spiritual powers because the authority is not yours, it's his. All authority's been given and he gave it to us to establish his church, right? This is what's happening right now. I believe God wants to use COVID to get believers' attention, to get non-believers' attention so God can build his church. And so we are called today just as every other day to make disciples because he has authority given to build the church. And when we pray for the lost, we pray for the sick, we pray for those that are in bondage, they will be set free. His authority is in building the church. We'll pray about governmental things, but we're building the church of Jesus Christ that will survive every government, every nation, and draw all the peoples of the world who believe in Christ around his throne. So he says, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching. I think we understand. The baptism is speaking of conversion. Lead them to Christ. And then he's saying, teach them. Maybe this point is for me. Teach them not merely intellectual truth. What does he say? The words say, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. You're a disciple when you're walking in obedience and you're helping others walk in obedience by faith, through grace, of course. But God's outcome is a life of faith and obedience. Isn't that exciting? Let's, you, you want to just like, let's go, right? <laughs> well, uh, let's turn on Google Meet. There we go, yeah. So, <laughs> but let's do it, right? Or, or, or pick up your phone and let's do what we can today to encourage the faith of other people, to build disciples. And so... Very simple lesson. Very, very simple lesson. All followers in Christ have a role in making disciples. Every one of us. Parents, 
Don't just raise nice kids. Teach them the spiritual life. Teach them your own experiences. Extended family, friends, and others. Look, who's open? There are people open now. Share. Call them up. Some of them, it may be appropriate to share this video. Ask yourself, even within the church family, who can I invest in to help them grow their spiritual life? And so really, we want to be thinking about, you know, am I growing in Christ? And and maybe somebody can help me grow in Christ. And so, you know, maybe you say, hey, Fred, you know, help me out here. And, uh, but especially, who can I help grow in Christ? Who can I help walk that next step in Jesus Christ? It's the most fun. It's, It's the most exciting. It's what we're here to do, is to make disciples. Let's make his last command our first concern. So the final response to the resurrected Christ is mission. At least once a year, hopefully much more often, we focus on this core event of history. Christ died on the cross for our sins to heal our souls, and God raised him from the dead. How can I respond? Well, first of all, don't be deceived or distracted. And again, the advantage of a time like this is that we're easily distracted as human beings. We just can't seem to keep our minds on any one thing. You know, I understand that. But sometimes you have to slow down and stop. Or maybe some of you like me are busier, but you still, your your life has changed. The pattern's changed. It's a time to assess and say, you know, where am I going? But not be distracted. Not be distracted. So rather than distraction, first of all, let's not forget the beautiful response of the first women that saw Jesus face to face. They saw the empty tomb and then Jesus. Joyful worship. Hallelujah. You know, I, I just got to say this. The greatest source of joy in my life is just getting up in the morning and saying, Lord, I thank you that I'm a son of God. You know, I love my wife. I love my kids. I love the opportunity to minister at Sojourn and teach at North Central. All that stuff is wonderful. But you know what? The, the by far the greatest joy of my life. Thank you, Jesus, a son of God through faith in Christ. Joyful worship is just the most fundamental response to thank God for what he's done. But then, not just to remain in that joy yourself, but to say, who can I bring with me? In our joyful worship, let's draw as many as we can into his wonderful grace and healing of soul. Let's read that verse from Peter one last time as we close. Speaking of Jesus, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, we are healed. Hallelujah. Let's pray. So Lord, we do ask in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that you'd remove deception, distraction, help us to see your face, help us to joyfully enter your presence in worship wherever we are today. And Lord, lead each of us to others that we could help someone grow up into Christ, maybe just sharing a sermon with them or reading a Bible verse, 
sharing the life of Christ. Help us to grow your people by sharing what we've been given. Thank you for the power of your resurrection. We thank you and we rejoice in that. It gives us hope of our future resurrection. So now we ask grace, peace, and glory to rest in the hearts of all your people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.